With Christmas, though, you turn around and you start celebrating the new year. And New Year's, as always, as you guys probably do, the time where we all make resolutions to change. I googled what 2019's most popular New Year's resolutions were, and I was actually um, the first top three. I was; those are my top three. I want to read them to you. The top ten are these: diet and eat healthier. That's the top number one New Year's resolution in 2019. Exercise more. Lose weight. All three of those kind of go hand in hand. Um, save more. Spend less. Learn a new skill or a hobby was number five. Quit smoking. I don't have that problem, but uh, quit smoking is number six. Read more. I don't have that problem, so that's not one of my resolutions. Find another job. That is on my... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Drink less and then spend more time with family and friends. That rounded out the top ten. I would venture to say that those people who are making resolutions, if you're like me and maybe like these people, you always make these good resolutions. How many of them are actually fulfilled? Have you guys ever fully for a whole year committed to something like that and fulfilled it? I'll give you a round of applause if you have. No hands. Okay, good. I'm in good company. But can you imagine, even, even these are, I mean, these are kind of worldly things. Um, but can you imagine how somebody's life would be different if they followed through with those resolutions? Um, we know instinctively, just on a human level, that things that we're doing now tend to project our lives in a certain direction, good or bad. And that's why we make resolutions. The same is true spiritually, though. Um, there are trajections that we're, we're, we're creating habits now, we're creating um, spiritual directions now in our life that are going to influence the future, good or bad. And not only in your life, if you're a parent, they're going to influence your children's lives. If you're a grandparent, they're going to influence your children and grandchildren's lives. There's spiritual resolutions um, that should be made as well. And this, this study we're going to do this morning through First and Second Kings we're really going to highlight this point that there are things that we do that could impact the future, good or bad. I just got through reading through First and Second Kings in my uh, in my one year study Bible plan that I do, and there's a phrase that kept being repeated through every king over Israel that caught my attention, and I thought back when I was reading through, I want to preach on that. And as I thought through those passages coming up to New Year, I thought that's the perfect New Year's resolution sermon. What we're going to do this morning is kind of look at this truth um, that our decisions will affect our future for good or bad. And we're going to look at it through the history of Israel and its kings. Okay, There's many, many examples of this truth played out in the Word of God. You think of King David, for example, um, his affair with Bathsheba pointed his kingdom in a certain direction. And the results that followed were not good results. King Solomon, who followed him, same thing. He loved many women, the Scripture said. 300 wives, 700 concubines. And it affected, at the end of his life, his devotion to the Lord. He left the Lord. That set the stage for what we looked at a couple weeks ago. I referenced this. With Solomon's son Rehoboam, 
and then Jeroboam. So open up to 1 Kings chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up. And, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to move fairly quickly through this first point, because I want you just to see this one point of how dramatic Jeroboam's sin affected the nation of Israel all the way until we get to one other king, Josiah. Okay? So if you remember Israel's history, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. He was not a good king. He didn't follow the Lord. But the Lord said during his time, I'm going to divide Israel. There's going to be Israel and the ten tribes of the north, and there will be the southern kingdom of Judah with the other two tribes to round out the twelve tribes total. Rehoboam became king of Judah, the southern kingdom. This man Jeroboam was prophesied he would become king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the ten tribes that followed him. Jeroboam, however, was not a good guy. In First Kings chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, it says this, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now I wonder if he realized he's literally quoting... Aaron on Mount Sinai. Remember what Aaron said? Took all the people's gold. I threw the gold into the fire and boom! There they out came these calves. But that's what he told Israel. Behold your gods who delivered you out of Egypt. Verse 29, he set one of those calves in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing, now remember this, this thing, these golden calves became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one of them. He also made temples on the high places, and he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the month, of the eighth month, sorry, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar, so he did in Bethel. So Jeroboam, in this one act, put in Israel a snare. And this act of Jeroboam will follow every king. So let's look at that. As I went through 1 Kings all the way to 2 Kings, where we're going to end up, I wanted to see how Jeroboam's decision to lead Israel into apostasy, how it affected each king. I counted 19 kings from Jeroboam to Josiah, whom we're going to make it. I don't know how many years that was. Some kings reigned, uh, for instance, as little as seven days. Other kings reigned for as long as 51 years. So even if we just say the average reign of these 19 kings was 10 years, this is almost 200 years worth of history that we're going to survey very quickly. And there's a common phrase for each one of these kings. Look with me. So Jeroboam sets up this snare for Israel. Go to chapter 15 real quick. We're going to move fairly quickly. Nadab, Jeroboam's son, in verse uh, 25. 
says this, Nadab the son of Jeroboam began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. Now keep in mind, I did want to say this. We're, what we're tracking here is the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom. There's also, during the whole book of Kings, the chronology of the southern kingdom of Judah. We're not considering those kings just yet. We're just looking at Israel, okay? So Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. He reigned over Israel two years. Verse 26, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Referring back to the golden calves we just read about. Look at um, verse 27. Nadab is killed by Basha. And it says in uh, verse 27, Basha, the son of Ahijah, the house of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And he struck him down at Gibbethon, which belongs to the Philistines. So Basha becomes king in Nadab's place. And then in verse 33, what's it say? Basha, in the year, in third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over Israel. He reigned 24 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of Jeroboam. And in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. You see that phrase again. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam. In the sin of Jeroboam. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. So Zimri destroys Basha and all of his house. In verse 13, it says, For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his son, which they sinned in which they made Israel to sin, provoking the God of Israel to anger. The same sins. Then Zimri comes to power in verse 15 of uh, chapter 16. In verse 19, it sums up Zimri's reign. It says, Because of his sins that he committed, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam and for his sin which he committed, making Israel to sin. We see that phrase again. Omri comes to power after Zimri. And look at verse 25 and 26, the summary of Omri's reign. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in the way of who? Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in the sins which he made Israel to sin. You literally have that pattern and that phrase repeated with every single king of Israel. That they walked in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and the sins that he made Israel to sin. So Jeroboam and his decision to abandon the Lord set up this apostate system of worship literally affected at least 200 years of history. But it, what, it didn't, it didn't stay within the kingdom of Israel. It affected the southern kingdom of Judah as well. But literally every king, there was one king of those 19, um, kings of Israel that was said to be a good king. Go to 2 Kings with me, okay? So we're not going to survey the entire book of 1 Kings. We're going to make our way. Just trust me that this pattern of the kings of Israel never departing from the sins of Jeroboam continues. Make your way to 2 Kings chapter 10. This is the one king of Israel, his name is Jehu, who is said to be a good king. But even of Jehu, it says, he didn't leave the sins of Jeroboam. In chapter 10 of 2 Kings, verse 28 through 31, we'll see this, okay? It says, Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, you understand Baal was a continual snare for the Israelites. They constantly 
fell in to worshiping this false god. Okay, So he wipes out Baal from Israel, but Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of who? Jeroboam, son of Nabat. And then in verse 31, Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. And so it goes, continues. He was the one king that said he was a good king. He at least wiped out Baal, but he never turned from the sins of Jeroboam. We get all the way to 2 Kings chapter 15, or chapter 17, I apologize. I'm not sure how you say his name. Pekah, I think is how you say it. It's the last king of Israel before Israel's finally taken into exile into Assyria. And 2 Kings 17 gives the summary. Okay, uh, It begins in verse 7. We're not going to read all of that. But 2 Kings 17, verse 7, all the way through verse 23, summarizes why the Lord sent them into, into exile. I want to read beginning in verse 19. Okay? to show that it didn't affect Israel also, but the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. Now, who is it that introduced those customs? Jeroboam, son of Nabat. Okay? And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until He had cast them out of His sight. In verse 21, when He had torn Israel from the house of David, they made... Jeroboam, son of Nabat king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and he made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken all by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria, Assyria till this day. In this time of making resolutions... The first point that I hope you see is this. Your decisions project your life in a certain direction. Now, Jeroboam, I'm sure, had no idea how long-lasting this would affect Israel. But when it summarizes from Jeroboam's reign until they were kicked out of Israel, led to Assyria, it goes right back to Jeroboam's sin was the reason. That idolatry never left Israel. So God finally sent them into exile. There was need for reform, and it never happened. Well, we still have the southern kingdom of Judah. What about the southern kingdom of Judah? It's still here. Go to chapter 18. We're introduced to the good king of Judah, Hezekiah. He was a godly man, um, did great things for for. Judah, the southern kingdom. Unfortunately, his son in chapter 21, Manasseh, was worse than any of the others. So this pattern continues. Even, even though Hezekiah was a good king, his son Manasseh in verse 20, uh, chapter 21 is not so good. Read with me in verse 2 of chapter 21. He, Manasseh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He erected the altars of Baal, and he made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. 
But he goes further. He built altars in the house of the Lord. So Manasseh went farther than the other kings. He actually made these altars, these idols, within the temple. He built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he burned his son as an offering. Literally, put his son on Molech's bronze arms and cooked him to death as an offering. He used fortune-telling, he used omens, and he dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger, and it goes on. Manasseh, king of Judah, was not a good king. But what was the influence once again? Ahab, king of Israel. Who influenced Ahab, king of Israel? Jeroboam, son of Nabat. (laughs) You see the influence spreading, and it's... When you look at the history of Israel, it goes from bad to worse until the kings are literally placing their sons on altars and burning them alive. Now, Sam and Emily are sitting there with their new son. Jill's sitting over here with our new son. I cannot imagine what is going through their head to be able to do that to their child. But they did. Manasseh dies, and we come to King Josiah in chapter 22. And here's where the story changes. And here's where I want to begin, really, our message this morning. Our New Year's resolutions, we're going to pull five points out of Josiah's life that are applicable to us today as we're starting a new year. Because Josiah, it was said of King Josiah, there was no king like him before him, nor any king like him after him. Now think about that. What prominent king was before Josiah that everyone talks about? David. Great king. David couldn't compare to Josiah. You realize that? So thorough and so devoted was Josiah to his Lord. There's something in this passage in chapter 22 and 23 for us that we can take as a New Year's resolution. And and the point is this. Some of our lives have been influenced by a Jeroboam, right? Our families, for instance, may not have been Christian growing up. Maybe they were. I talk to people in counseling whose, whose um, sins are generational sins, right? There's a common theme in their family. Alcoholism, drug abuse, immorality, whatever it might be. It affects generations. You see this. But scripturally speaking, generational sins are cut off when someone comes to faith in Christ. Because that is a curse. But the curse was taken by the Lord so that you're no longer under it. Why do you see alcoholism? Why do you see drug abuse affecting families? Because they're under a curse. But when they come to faith in the Lord, that curse is broken and they're set free. We're going to pull principles out of Josiah's life. How could this one king, Josiah, in the midst of so many bad kings, so awful, his own father offered his brother up? You realize that, right? Josiah's brother was the son that was offered to Molech. How could Josiah turn out so different? Because of his faith in the Lord. So we're going to pull out five principles this morning for us that I want you to remember in this New Year's Day resolution, okay? The first resolution is discover God's Word. 
Make knowing God's word a priority in your life. And I think Carlos got them up there for you. Let's read verse 8 through 13. This is, so Josiah was eight years old when he came to, to power. He had reigned at that point 18 years before the word of God was discovered. So he's 26 years old. Still a young man, right? He's 26 years old, and then this happens in verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, what does that tell you? It was lost. Do you think that might have had something to do with all these bad kings continuing to sin? They were not in the word of God. They didn't know the word of God. Hilkiah, the priest, finds the law of the Lord, and he read it. Now just stop and think about it. He read it. And we're going to see how the Word of God transformed this king and the entire nation. What would it do if the people of God today read the Word of God, got in the Word of God, and were transformed by it? Discover the Word of God. Make it a priority in your life. Let's read what happens. Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight over the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now keep in mind, this is probably the first time Josiah has actually heard the law the first time he's actually read it. He'd been king 18 years. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikim, Ahikim, I don't know how you say it, the son of Shaphan and Akbar, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah, gosh, these Hebrew names, the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So the first thing that happens, the word of God is read to Josiah, and he realizes immediately, we've been in sin, we've been in disobedience, we need to inquire of the Lord. Here's the point for us, church, for this first resolution that you can make for the new year. God's Word must become a priority for the people of God. If we can go week in and week out without being in God's Word, something is severely wrong in our walk, if we have one at all. We have to make God's Word a priority. Because if we don't, you know what we're going to be guilty of? All the sins of the kings before us. Right? And we will continue to do the things that have always been done without change in our life. That's the pattern that will happen. And perhaps that is the pattern that's happened in your life. Why do you continue to do the things you've always done? Well, is the Word of God a priority in your life? Start there. It must become a priority. Discover it. Read it. Know what it says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, and it discerns the very thoughts of your heart. Do you want to be pure before the Lord? Get in the Word of God. Why? Because it alone can discern your heart. You can't discern your heart. Paul the Apostle said, I don't know of anything against me, yet that doesn't justify me. I can be deceived. The Word of God isn't. It alone can discern the thoughts 
and intentions of your heart. It is through the Word of God that we receive encouragement, the Scripture says. It's through the Word of God that we are sanctified, John 17 says. It's through the Word of God that we are warned, according to Paul. It's through the Word of God that we are strengthened in the inner man in Ephesians 3. It's through the Word of God, hearing it and believing it in Ephesians 1, that we are sealed and saved for the day of redemption. And it is through the Word of God that people who don't know the Lord are drawn to Him. John chapter 6. The Word of God is such a central part of a Christian's life, you literally cannot be a Christian, a faithful Christian, I should say, without it. Make the Word of God a priority in your life. It's what transformed and set Josiah's whole reign on the trajectory that we're going to see. Okay, So resolve number one, discover God's Word. Begin a Bible plan. Uh, If you don't have, don't know where to start, pick a book. Read the Gospel of John is what I usually tell people. Start with John. Did you know that the most, uh, the, the epistles are the average length? Of course, we don't have newspapers really anymore. I'm kind of dating myself, but, um, if you have a newspaper, the epistles are the average length of, of a newspaper article. They're not really that long. You can sit down and read the epistle of Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians, fairly quickly. Get to know the Word. If you have a one-year Bible, I like to do a one-year Bible because I like to to know the overarching theme of Scripture. That's how I got this whole study. But I also like to study in depth. Bible reading plan, a one-year Bible, gets you familiar with the whole picture, the big picture. Whatever it is that you choose, stick with it. Get accountability if you have to. Do it with somebody else if you have to, but discover the Word of God. Make it a priority in your life. Resolution number two that we see in Josiah's life is this. He resolved to walk in what he discovered. The obedience of faith. Paul opens the book of Romans and he closes the book of Romans with that phrase that he was made an apostle of the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. It's not enough to know the Word of God. We are to walk in what we know. Obedience is always a result of faith, not works. But let's read this in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 3. Okay, Let's, let's just begin in verse 1, but verse 3 is our verse. The king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord. And with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets... All the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Now verse 3. And the king stood by the pillar and he made a covenant before the Lord to what? To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and testimonies. The obedience of faith. You see, Josiah read the book. He believed what it said and he resolved I'm going to start walking in this truth. It's been absent far too long. So we want to not only know God's Word, we want to walk in God's Word. That's where the fruit is. That's where the presence of God in your life will be found. Many people know God. They know theology. They know doctrine. And you've probably met people like that. You've probably been there. I've been there. I don't want to be a heady Christian, right? I do want to know the the Word of God, and I want to know it better. But I want to know the Lord intimately and personally. That happens as you walk in it. 
As we get in His Word, the Lord is with us. As the psalmist prayed, Lord, teach me to walk in Your ways. Turn with me, keep your finger here, but turn with me to Psalm 119 real quickly. We're going to see this prayer. I love Psalm 119. Every verse of that psalm references the Word of God somehow. Psalm 119, we'll read verse 9 through 11 and then skip down a few. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Go down to verse 32 of Psalm 119. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. You see, the psalmist wanted to know God's Word in order to keep God's Word. So resolution number two, follows very nicely from resolution number one. Discover God's Word and then resolve to walk in His ways. The third resolution that we find in King Josiah and why he was such a great king is he dealt completely with sin. Now this is not a popular topic in churches today, but it must be a priority because we are still battling against the flesh. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that battle is pretty intense. We must resolve to tear down the altars in our life. Let's read back in 2 Kings chapter 23, beginning in verse 4. So, they read the law. They resolved to walk in the law. We're going to pick it up in verse 4 and see how they walked in it. They start cleansing the land. Verse 4, The king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and he carried their ashes to Bethel. Where was Bethel? Do you remember where Jeroboam set up the two golden calves? Bethel and Dan. It's a very intentional act of Josiah. He's going straight to the source of Jeroboam's sin, which is what all the previous kings failed to do. You see the connection here? Why is Josiah so good? Because he is going to go deal with Jeroboam 200 years later. Going straight to the source. Verse 5, He deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah, around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and the constellations and all the host of heavens, he brought out of the, out of the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and he burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and he cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that are at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. And so it goes. We're not going to read all of that. Josiah begins a tour of the land. And everywhere he goes... He tears down the altars, he beats it into dust, 
and he, he disposes of the priests and prophets, cult prostitutes, everything. He goes through the land and completely cleanses. In fact, if you were to go back to 1 Kings chapter 13, we didn't read it, where Jeroboam makes these golden calves. In chapter 13, a prophet comes to Jeroboam and says, there's going to come one someday named Josiah, and he's going to burn these and throw the ashes of it on the people. Jeroboam stretches out his hand at this prophet and says, seize him and his hand withers up, and then he cries out to the Lord. So it's actually prophesied way back in Jeroboam's day, there's going to come one Josiah who's going to burn all this down. Do you realize that? And here we are. Decades later, here comes Josiah marching up to Bethel, to Dan, sets him ablaze, and scatters the ashes. How awesome is that? I love this picture because for me, what I take from this is, don't leave any nook and cranny in your life unattended. Deal with sin completely. Go through the land of your heart and cleanse it. Confess it. Bring it to the light, as Ephesians 4 says, because whatever is manifested, whatever is confessed as sin, the Lord cleanses. He deals with. And He forgives. He makes you new. What happens, though, in our flesh is we try to hide the sins of our heart, right? And we don't, we all, we have all these things going on in us. We don't want anybody to see it. So we hide it. When we do that, we become like Jeroboam and it manifests and manifests and manifests and manifests. It points us down this direction we don't want to go. It becomes a stumbling block to us. It's been true in my life. It is painful to expose the sins of your heart. But man, when you do it, you're set free, as John says. That's where freedom, that's where cleansing from sin happens. The summary of this I do want to read in 2 Kings 23. Look at verse 25. Okay, So Josiah's gone through all the land. He's torn down the altars. Verse 25, here's how it summarizes. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That sounds a lot like the great commandment, doesn't it? Isn't that what Jesus says the first and great commandment is? To love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your might. That's what Josiah did. So this wasn't a work. This was an issue of faith. Why did he cleanse the land from sin? Because he loved the Lord. That's why. It wasn't an issue of legalism. It was an issue of faith. The fourth resolution that we find in Josiah's life is this. He kept the Passover. Okay, Look at verse 21 of 2 Kings 23. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. That is an astonishing statement, church. Saul didn't keep a Passover. David didn't keep a Passover. Solomon didn't keep a Passover, nor any other king since the days of the judges. Hundreds of years had passed 
since they'd observed the Passover. Now, you're familiar biblically with what the Passover is and its significance. It was to remind Israel your deliverance from Egypt was at the cost of blood. And they were commanded, observe this year after year. And what's the application? How does this apply to us? Well, Paul says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this was fulfilled. He says, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Worship then in the newness, free from all the old leaven, right? Not with malice, not with evil, he goes on to say. Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed for us. We are then to worship and remember Christ, our Passover lamb. This is beautiful, okay? When the church strays from the message of the cross, it will stray completely from God. The Passover, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. That is the heart of what we're all about. Stay close to the sacrifice of Christ. There is something powerful in remembering what it took to deliver us from sin. It took blood, and it took the blood of the righteous Lamb of God. But in Revelation, turn with me real quick to Revelation chapter 5. Keep your finger here in 2 Kings. You don't just want to know about the cross, you want to worship Christ because of it. This is what chapter 5 of the book of Revelation is about. They're worshiping the Lamb who's been slain, right? Let's read it. The whole chapter really is about the Lamb of God, but let's pick it up in verse 6 of Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And this they sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. See, the song of heaven before judgment came centered around Christ, our Passover lamb, being sacrificed. Worthy are you to judge? Why? Because you were slain and you ransomed people by your own blood. That's why from every tribe, from every language, from every nation, you've made us a kingdom to yourself. Josiah's day, they looked forward to the coming Passover lamb. In our day, we look backwards to the lamb that was slain. But our faith was still in the same person. Hebrews 10 makes it clear, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't deliver us from sin. That old covenant couldn't do it. It took a different one, a different lamb. The lamb, the son of God. The fifth resolution, though, that we find in Josiah was he didn't embark on this alone. And this is important. Fellowship with the saints. We already read in 2 Kings 23, he called all the people together, right? Both small and great. 
priest, prophet, small and great, he read in their hearing the words of the book of this covenant, and he made a covenant with them to pursue the Lord. But we also see in verse 24, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums, the necromancers, and the household gods, and the idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book. There's two points to this. Scripturally, Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see, our pursuit of Christ should be with people of like mind. Why? We need it. We need the encouragement. We need the uplifting. We need the team. It's 1 Corinthians 12. You're part of a body, not just a member. Josiah surrounded himself with people who pursued the Lord with him. But he also put away the mediums, the necromancers, In fact, if we were to have read the whole chapter, he killed all the prophets of Baal. He got rid of them. Now, obviously, in our new covenant, we're not commanded to go kill people who are worshiping a false god, right? But we are commanded to be careful of your fellowship with them. As I said in in our subtitle there, bad company corrupts good character. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. But go to 1 Corinthians with me, chapter 5. This is one of the harder passages for some Christians to understand, but I think it's important to talk about. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. There are always going to be in our life people who don't walk with the Lord. They don't live like we live. They don't hold the same values. They're not pursuing the same thing. We should have contact with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul brings up an issue of one who's called a brother, living in sin, he's having an affair with his father's wife, an incestual relationship. And in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, Purge the evil person from among you. What is Paul saying here? People who are outside the church, what he's referring to is people who who aren't believers yet. You go to them with the gospel. You're trying to win them to the Lord, right? But people who bear the name of brother, who are just still living in sin, Paul says, don't associate with them. Why? Because they will drag you back into the sin that Christ has saved you from. And it happens. I remember when I was in college, um, there's one other, Carla and Jana were part of that group. The issue of missionary dating was a big issue. Should I be dating a non-believer or not? And finally, we came to the conclusion, studying the word no. 
In fact, if you were to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that's the passage where Paul says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has Christ with Baal? None. It's literally impossible for a believer to have that intimacy with a non-believer. You can't have it. Does this mean we don't have contact with people who don't know the Lord? Absolutely not. Go to them, reach out to them, love them, show them who Christ is. But be careful at the same time of who you fellowship with because they will drag you into sin if they're not walking with the Lord. In fact, that's what happened to Solomon's son Rehoboam if you go back and read it in 1 Kings. He surrounded himself with ungodly people rather than the godly men that Solomon had and they went away. Off goes Judah and then Jeroboam leads Israel astray. So back in 2 Kings 22 and 23, Josiah is quite the man to study. He was unlike any other king before him, whether in Israel or in Judah. So completely was his heart for the Lord and so thorough was his resolve and reformation in his own life that during his reign, God blessed the nation in a climate that was very dark. He was surrounded by kings, wicked kings before him and his own son after him, turned away from the Lord. But it's this bright spot where he discovers the Word of God. He resolves to walk in the Word of God. He cleanses his life and the nation from the idols that plagued it. Right? He worships Christ. He worshiped the Lord. And he did it with people of like mind. And God blessed that king greatly. I think these are five principles from Josiah's life this year as we approach the new year that we can make resolutions for us spiritually. It's good to get in in shape. I need to get in shape. I know that. But these resolutions are much more important to me. (laughs) I want to know God's Word. I want to walk in God's Word. I want sin to be rooted out in my life. I want to worship Christ more fully and completely. And I want to do it with you. That's my resolution. And that's why I wanted these to be up here for you. So you can write these down. They're not difficult to remember. And they're not difficult to find in these two chapters. But you can see the result. God was with Josiah. Even though his son after him turned from the Lord, and eventually Judah was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, nonetheless, God was faithful to Josiah and he blessed him. In a climate of absolute wickedness, his father burned his brother alive. And yet Josiah followed the Lord. That's what we can be, church, to a world, to our families, to our spouses, to our friends, when we resolve these five things. If you would, let's pray, and Ronnie will take us out in song. Father God, thank you for this study. These five things that we get out of Josiah's life, so valuable are they to us. Because we see how you responded to Josiah's faith. Father, you were with him. You blessed him. Father, truly every king before him, save his grandfather, and a handful of others, continued in those sins of Jeroboam. It plagued the kingdoms. Father, let us be warned from that that the trajectory we put our lives on spiritually will influence perhaps generations for good or for bad. 
God, when we take note of Josiah's life and these five things that he resolved and did, we know that you will be with us. Because you love truth in the inner man, as Scripture says. You, in fact, are seeking. You are going across the earth seeking those who would worship you with all all their heart, who would be faithful. Father, help Waypoint to grow in their love of your word, to resolve to walk in it. Father, to, to deal fully and completely with sin in our life. And when we sin again, Lord, we confess it and deal with it quickly. Father, Help us to worship you because you are our Passover lamb. It is only because you've been sacrificed and paid the penalty of our sin that we can worship you and have hope. Father, help us to resolve to do it together in the community of faith, loving one another, encouraging one another, being involved in each other's lives, pouring into one another to build one another up in Christ-likeness. Father, and help us to rejoice in it all because we have a great promise that you will be with us in that. Father, as we go out in song, may we just worship and sing with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.